0: The following podcast is an Embassy Row production.
1: Welcome back to Shaking and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker. I'm in uh, Woodstock. Welcome back. It's another week of shaking, stirring. And if you're
0: anything like my co host, Tom Astor, slurring. Tom, how are you, mate? Well, I'm all right now you've arrived on this podcast. You were a little bit delayed. I'm, I'm intrigued. To, you still haven't asked the question as to why you were so late jumping on it.
1: Well, you know, some things are um, uh, best left to people's imaginations, Tom. I'm not going into any reasons as to why. I don't need to make excuses. I don't need to give you any any ammunition whatsoever. An explanation
0: would be nice. But anyway, I guess our listeners aren't going to get that today.
1: Well, they are going to get a lot of things today. Actually, our, our guest today is, is full of pearls of wisdom. And um, actually, I, I imagine you might have a lot in common with our guest today, Tom. What? The back. You're, you're not allowed to say who our guest is, by the way, Tom. You're, to, you're not allowed to give it away. So <laughs> we, until we announce who it is, that's all there is to it. But how about we get on with our drinks? What are you drinking, <laughs> old boy?
0: Yeah, they're not giving me a good chance to answer that one. My God. What are you drinking? I felt like something fresh and I felt like something uplifting. And as you know, time, there's a bit of a time difference here. So it has to be something that's not like, give me chronic indigestion when I get to bed. I'm having a good old fashioned gin fizz, Gordon's gin, so kind of a mid range gin. I don't need anything fancy. A little bit of sugar, a lot of freshly squeezed lemon juice and club soda. And the reason, I, another reason I chose this drink is because I keep watching you on Instagram. And you're so obsessed at the moment by lifting people up and fitness and and like showing like flexing your muscles. And I thought I I sort of pay homage to to your your other career as a fitness something or other, whatever you do in fitness. So cheers, wow. mate. So so wait a second. You, by drinking a gin fizz,
1: somehow you are paying homage to my club soda. Oh the club soda. Oh the club soda. Oh goodness, of course. Oh, is it diet club soda, at least? A little bit of
0: sugar, though. That's, that's the thing that, that's the thing you know,
1: that fills it. Something tells me there is literally nothing healthy whatsoever about a gin fizz. But anyway, I am drinking... I have decided to become very themed, because you know how I like to theme my drinks to the shows, and I'm drinking what one calls a bachelor. <laughs> I found myself a cocktail that is called The Bachelor. Am I giving any hints to who our guest is this week? Maybe. Bachelor is made with tequila. It's actually an Anejo uh, Patron that I'm using this particular week. And I've got some Prosecco in there. and uh, And I also have some spindrift, I put a lemon spindrift in there because it calls for some sparkling water. And it also has Saint-Germain elderflower liqueur in there with a lemon twist, and I used lime instead.
0: And it's actually very, very delicious. Cheers, it's very, talk about refreshing. Yeah, Mm. kind of weird the way we choose our drinks. I mean, they're very similar. Lemon juices. Very similar, very,
1: very, you know what, I wanted something, because like you said, the time there, you know, you're in the UK, I'm in the US, it's a five hour time difference. And I actually wanted something which was gonna be light in the, because it's early in the afternoon here, right? where we're shooting, it's about three o'clock in the afternoon, so I thought it should be something that's not gonna make me go to sleep in the afternoon. So some t- something with tequila. And I came across The Bachelor. So before we get to our guest this week, a little bit of booze news. And keeping it on tequila, there's an interesting thing that's happened with tequila that you know we, we talk about the demise of, of the sort of alcohol industry in, to some extent over the pandemic. But that is not the story all, all the way around. In fact, it's quite different. And it's kind of good to hear some uplifting stories about alcohol right now. And you know, the tequila industry specifically is exploding. I mean, literally exploding. The US drinkers alone account for something incredible. It, 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 I mean, I, here, I'll read you the, the, the actual statistics, but tequila exports are on a record high right now. And if you if you put things into perspective, you know, I'm reading literally read this from it. In a year that set multiple records for the tequila industry, the United States has received over 72 percent of tequila exported from Mexico in 2020. And just go back a second here: Mexico produced a total of 374 million liters of tequila in 2020, and of this, 286 million liters of it were exported to 120 countries. Right with the US accounting for basically almost three quarters of that marketplace, Germany being the next one, but the US had 63 times more. Now, it's just amazing what's happened with tequila. It's booming and in large part because of so many celebrities coming out there and creating their own tequila, I think The Rock being one with his Terramana. Sorry, I'm not using Terramana right now. I'm using Patron, which I think is a hairdresser's
0: tequila originally, I'm not sure about the truth. That, you know, in relation to The Rock, you are a bit of a hairdresser, so that's appropriate.
1: I like to think of myself as the pebble versus The Rock. <laughs> and, and actually, I, I, I'll be, the, he'll be The Rock, I'll be The Pebble, and when I look at you, I can just think of you as being stoned. How about that? <laughs> and um, we should probably move on to our guest, shouldn't we? <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Oh. Our guest this week has survived reality TV fame, a deployment with the military, and countless challenges throughout his life and career. He now writes and speaks on how the ability to overcome stems from the power within. With his focus on self love, the breakout star from ABC's The Bachelorette and The Bachelor in Paradise is transforming audiences by showcasing his global influence through brave storytelling and big smiles. Oh yes, this big (laughs) smile put a big smile on my producer's face when she saw his name. And and, and I wouldn't (laughs) be surprised if she doesn't actually make a guest appearance. Please welcome Mike Johnson. Mike, how are you, mate?
2: I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you guys for having me. Nigel, that was a wonderful intro. Tom, nice to meet you as well.
1: My pleasure. Mike, what are you drinking?
2: I'm a tequila connoisseur. I, I love my tequila. I've been to Mexico plenty of times just to go to tequila factories. And so I have a little tequila in my cup right now, but with a dash of liqueur from, I don't know how to pronounce this word, Teotihuacan.
1: Have a look at it. I'm not quite how to pronounce that either. My goodness. Well, I've never even it, seen that before. What is that exactly? What it does it, take- it
2: came from the pyramids in Mexico. And so I, I, like, I like local drinks as well.
1: Interesting, so when you were down there, did you sample that? Did they put that inside the tequila and give it to you as a bit of a cocktail?
2: Yes, they sampled it, I fell in love with it, and now we're here.
1: Wow, look at that. It's so funny how things come together because we actually did a whole bit right before you came on on the actual tequila industry and how it's booming like never before. And it's been the biggest year ever for tequila in the U.S. And and we've actually imported more tequila than we would ever done before. We account now for three quarters of the global tequila appetite is in the U.S.
2: Wow.
1: And then, of course, you're drinking tequila straight away. I'm drinking (laughs)
2: tequila. Cheers. (laughs) Oh, there there we go.
0: And on top of that, one of the reasons Nigel was giving for, for, you know, this massive increase in tequila was that, a lot of these people like The Rock and, you know, George Clooney, a lot of these celebrities are getting in on making their own tequila. So I'm going to jump at, maybe Nigel's going to ask you this later, but I guess not because we didn't know what you were drinking, but anything on the pipeline? Any, like, any personal? Oh,
2: I, I, I don't think I'm on their level. I don't think I'm on the George Clooney or The Rock's level just yet. You know, LeBron, LeBron James is coming out with the tequila as well.
1: Uh Everybody is coming out with a tequila. You know, I had a photo assistant about a decade ago who told me that we needed to do a tequila. And I actually laughed at him and thought that was, I'm like, now I don't want to do tequila. tequila?" I'm like, there's great tequila out there already. I don't want to do my own. And of course, now everyone out there, Tom, Dick and Harry's got a tequila. And had I done one a decade ago, who knows? I would have been laughing at
0: George Clooney or I'd have a smile even
1: bigger than yours.
0: How about that? (laughs) But but Mike, as night realized, he wasn't quite on that level. <laughs> you no, know, it's one thing with the
1: rock making tequila it's another thing with the stone or the pebble the pebble. The oh the pebble. Pebble.
2: <laughs> the pebble I think I'm the pebble you may you may be the stone <laughs>
1: I, looks like, like, I'll travel. be the stone and I, as I said before my co-host is the stoner which is a whole nother thing <laughs> so let's get on with it I want to look we have a lot in common you and I kind of just recently met Mike and I kind of yes. I, the whole time felt simpatico with you and, and it is sort of you're incredibly charming you've got this huge smile on your face and you're known for it it's in your email address for god's sakes so you actually put the name word smile in there you know You obviously got this huge break on a reality show. We just mentioned it, The Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise. I as well got my own break in life in a way on a reality show, a different side of things. I was a judge on a show for many, many years, you know, America's Next Top Model for 18 seasons. Amazing judge. Thank you so much. But it's sort of, I'm looking at you and wondering, and I've always wondered this, and it's funny, I've never had anyone from one of my shows on our podcast. We've done over 50 episodes and I've never had a guest on. Right. So, not that you're, that puts you in the same uh, sort of bracket, but the question I want to ask is one I've wanted to ask someone for my show and I never have. And it's, in a way, what drives you to go on a reality show in the first place, right, with the idea of, especially when it's like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette and the, and the prizes that you're meant to get married. I mean, it's, it's one thing yes. to become a model. It's another thing when you're finding love. I mean, what yes. was going through your mind? And did, and I, I guess let's just start there because there's a lot of
2: questions <laughs> around this. No, definitely. it's And it's fair. It's warranted. I asked myself the exact same questions. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell am I doing? Am I really going to do this? I had reservations. Even when they said that they cast me and they wanted me to be on, I still had reservations about doing it or not. And my reservations were because I was like, does this lady really want to get married or does she want fame? And I was unsure at the time. And so for me moments of the heart I take seriously. And I remember talking to all my family and friends and they're like, look, I lived in San Antonio, Texas at the time. I had did the dating apps. I had gone on blind dates. None of that seemed to work. So at the end of the day, we all go back to that. Why not? Why not? Why not try it? What's what's the worst that's going to happen?
1: How old are you?
2: I'm 33 now, but I was 31 when I went on.
1: Yeah. So it's not like you were sort of somehow washed up and like a bit desperate. I mean, you're, you're yeah. sort of prime of your life. You look f- amazing. You're sort of shredded. You got, you know, as we've already mentioned, a million dollar smile. So the concept that somehow love was sort of avoiding you or, you know, you just couldn't find it, you know, it, for me is a little bit like, really? Like, I, don't I, know.
2: I, I like this. I like that. That's, that's great because you're, you're, you're pushing me to answer this question, which no one asked. Now, I appreciate that. It's not that I can't find a suitor. It's just that I have a certain level of standards and I wasn't able to find those on my own.
1: And you, what, you thought a set of casting directors was going to find you a, <laughs> the right one. Oh, they've got standards, super high standards. As in, which one is a little bit more psycho than the next? See, I, made, I right didn't happen.
2: know that part at first. I didn't know that. Like literally, I, I promise you not, even if I wasn't talking to you, I would say this. The only reality TV show that I had watched outside of Shark Tank, because I do love Shark Tank, was America's Next Top Model when I was younger. And so I didn't know that. We have no crazies on our show. Oh, gosh. He has no crazies whatsoever. (laughs) I can name a few examples of craziness on your show.
0: (laughs) But, Mike, i got to say, you know, Nigel's sitting there all smug. Come on. You know, you're a great looking guy. you got a million dollar smile. You know, how can you possibly, you know, you said earlier on you're in San Antonio, Texas, which may have been one of the issues, may not produce. (laughs) I don't know. But when I sit there and hear Nigel going, come on, man, what, what, why is this a goddamn difficult time? You have to remember how he met his wife. He was on the freaking catwalks of Milan and surrounded by models 24-7. So a little smug. There you go. I mean, how could you not find a girl? I mean, Christ, they're everywhere, aren't they? It's like, no, Nigel, not if you're in San Antonio, maybe. Am I wrong? I don't know. Maybe, you know. No,
2: Tom, you're, you're exactly right. I've been to Milan, and I know how beautiful they are over there, especially if they're on a catwalk. Come on. Yeah, Nigel, you've been outed. Listen,
1: I'm not judging. I would never judge anybody. As you know me, I, I, how would I ever judge? But I mean, <laughs> how the, would the I ever question, judge?
2: <laughs> you
1: know, I only judge on reality television shows. But but my point being is not to compare necessarily my experience in my life. And don't forget, I met my wife when I was 22 years old, right? So we've been together for forever. Like right? not this is and, and and you know when it comes to sort of reality shows in general, the, the whole as I mentioned, the casting process and, you know, and the the machine that they are.
2: Yeah, it is a machine, yes. It's so a machine.
1: That's why I was like, with someone like yourself, smart, good looking, and I get it. So and, and one can you, can, you know, obviously, if I, you're not about to turn around and go, well, I wanted the fame too. And it doesn't look like from what you've done after the fact that that's what you were after necessarily, right? But going into that, you, there, there has to be, you know, what level of naivety was there then for you to really think like okay, this is going to work. Because what did p- past relationships look like that came out of that show? Was there a stream of like Beautiful. successful successful relations?
2: So let's just be honest. I have a certain standard that I go for, right? And again, going back to, I, there are ladies that I, I can ascertain, but they may not be my cup of tea. So that's step one, right? And that's not to be disrespectful to anyone. I feel so that we all, all have some There are ladies standard.
1: that you can ascertain. I've never heard of anyone talk about sort of dating someone and ascertaining them. I, I, so, would you and I would like to hook up? I would like to ascertain you. Um, maybe that was the problem. Forget about anything else. You're ascertaining.
0: Listen, you and I need to talk. I'd like to point out at this point what does Nigel know about dating? As he said, he met his wife when he's 22. For Christ's sake, that was like so 30 something years ago.
2: Tom, when I when I Nigel came on our podcast, I wanted to. He was telling us when he met his wife. I believe it was. Uh... You said the summer of 94 was the, the summer of love. I, I remember it's you saying nice. that, right? And because I, I love speaking with you. And I remember everything that you had said. And you said, I believe back in 88, that's when you kind of got big into the modeling. And I wanted to tell you, because you said you were aging yourself. I was literally an infant, in my, <laughs> and like not even a year old. And so thank you, Tom. Things have changed a little bit. <laughs> Things have Sorry. changed quite a bit. So and, clearly,
1: I mean, forget about finding someone that you miss meet on the runways of Milan. Nowadays, we have to yeah. go onto reality TV shows and ascertain. Okay, I, acid, I'm learning, acid. I'm learning. I, I guess there's a dating
2: <laughs> gap somewhere here. But um, so- Well, seriously though, I was just, I was a financial advisor before going on TV. And so my, my mindset was focused on being the absolute best that I could be. And I didn't give myself time to date. And that was a part of the problem that was on me. I had dated in the past. I had a beautiful, loving relationship for over two years. My ex is actually from England. She's from Cambridgeshire. And so we we dated, we're in love, we broke up. And then I just put all, you know, when you get heartbroken, you you have to find some vice to get over that. And I my advice was to be the absolute best financial advisor I could be. And I was always in the books. And so I never allowed myself time to date.
1: There you go. I was going to say, you know, now I know that, you know, the financial advising part, but that sort of makes more sense about the ascertaining part, Um, you know, you you have to separate the two a little bit, you know, they're not one and the same, but it's not like a... I would like to get married. I I pronounce, how about a merger between your family and mine? Yeah, Um, yeah,
2: merger, an acquisition. An acquisition. (laughs) It's all making sense
1: now, Mike. It's all making sense. But Uh, I I think there's a solution. And part of it comes down to that smile of yours, which seems to be, you know, if everyone, this is a podcast that people can't necessarily see your smile, but trust me, it is gleaming. I'm actually (laughs) may have to put shades on in a minute. Um, (laughs) I want to go back to the actual experience itself, because again, like I said, I mean, I feel sorry for you because you're here on our podcast and i've got a lot of questions about the experience of this what it's like to be on the other side of this because i know with with our contestants on, on top Model, so many of them were quite traumatized by the experience yeah. like <laughs> it wasn't all fun and games and people you know clearly there are there is fame to be had and there is money oftentimes with prizes and all kinds of other stuff that we offer on america's next top model and many of these reality shows right but there's the actual experience too, can be quite traumatizing. So talk to us for you, what it was like
2: for you. I do think that it can be traumatizing for some. Uh, you have to have mental toughness. For me, I think it was a blessing in disguise that I'm, I went on the show older and I had a life already. I was in the military. I've been deployed. Uh, I've been in extremely strenuous situations to where mental toughness, I had already garnered that. So the thing that they put us through to me was nothing. It was... I've been there, done that already. So I was one of the older guys on the show. It wasn't like I was 22. I was 31. I actually had love before. You know, been in love, know what that's like. And I don't find other guys that are alpha males intimidating to me. I think of them as, oh, they're in here with me in comparison to I'm in here with them.
1: Okay, so that's, I I get that and I hear that. And I I also feel like, You've said that before, right? I feel like you've probably been asked that question and you've kind of have a, a little bit of an answer there. And it, But I don't necessarily buy it, right? Because I'm like listening to you and I'm like, I feel like there is some pain there and that
2: there is probably- The pain comes from, I hate to cut you off, the, 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 if there was any pain, it comes from being off the show because we live in social media day and age now. Literally when I was on the show, it, to me, it was hilarious. Like the guys, some of the guys crying after one day saying, I love you, and I'm like, how could you love a girl within 24 hours of knowing who she is, of her existence? To me, I do find that hilarious. But when you get off the show and the social media aspect, that's what can take a toll on your self love, and you have to have great friendships, you know, that you already have pri- previously, and have people to talk to. So the show itself was not hard whatsoever, but after the show, and people saying everything, anything about you, and the and the the radar. The spectrum is so wide and so vast, that is what can be taunting at times.
1: So then that leads down a couple of roads, right? So one, we've got obviously the aftermath of what it's like to be a winner or a loser or or just a contestant regardless, right? Whether, you know, the, whether one wins or loses or whatever, right? So that I, I think we should definitely dig into. But before we get there, I want to sort of ask something because you, going on a show like this, you're like, well, you're laughing at, at the guys who fall in love or whatever, say they are besotted at least within a day. Is any of that Connected to romance, and whether you're a romantic or not, and, and you know because there's that there's that whole concept of love at first sight, right? And not that you know. And I wonder whether you know when they cast these individuals, whether they they are casting hopeless romantics or whether they're casting people who are literally just gold digging and and want to be, <laughs> you know, li- are hoping to be. I'm in love, and and therefore somehow get the highlight because there there are ways to play these games, right? Competition yes. shoot shows are about... There's a game to be played. And if you're a character, people will keep
2: you in the show. the that's where manage. it is.
1: Manufactured.
2: Yes, that's... So there is a, a dance, shall I say, to the game. They cast different personality types. We're not all hopeless romantics. They cast people that are extremely outspoken, like myself. And then they cast people that want love, but are very apprehensive and quiet. And so those two clash at times. For me, I was... Extremely niche or ignorant to the show. I had never watched the show prior. Uh, I didn't know who Chris Harrison was. He's like the goat host. Didn't even know who he was. And so for me, I just was doing myself. I was just being me the whole time, quite honestly. I was loud, I was brash, but then I was also romantic and I was also tender to our bachelorette.
1: But why did you not do your homework? Why would you not know when these people are? I mean, for God's sake, that's like the first thing we say on every show of Top Model: is <laughs> do your homework, watch the show. And I mean, every season they would, the casting directors would manage to dig up contestants who had bloody well never heard of anything to do with
0: anything on fashion. And it's just, I'm just curious. With you.
2: I think that's a good thing because
0: I agree. No, I sorry, I totally agree with that. I have, I have, a, my neighbour here does this thing called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which is, a, it, I think it's gone across to America as well. And he got me to go and be in the dress rehearsal as he he's the host of it. And as he and he got me to go up and sit in the chair and be the be the contestant for the thing. And you know, as in the dress rehearsal, just because he thought it'd be fun. And it was quite fun because I managed to score the lowest ever score on He Wants to be a Millionaire. And the <laughs> reason and Mike, the reason is going back to your point, the reason was is I hadn't watched it before. I don't really watch television. I hadn't watched the show. So when he asked me a question, I just I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Whatsoever, <laughs> I got it wrong and was off the thing. And he said, What are you doing? We haven't done address. dress. I mean, what are you doing? You've got, to, uh, you've got to get off the. He said, You've got four lifelines and this and that. And you can ring someone and do this. And I was like, Shit, well, I didn't know that. He's like, Have you ever watched this before? I went, No, I've never watched Brother like you on your. I, <laughs> I know, except the question
1: that he failed was, What's your name? Oh, yeah, I've <laughs> oh, never needed a lifeline for that <laughs> oh, one God. before, Tom. Uh, sh- Low no, no, pebble. Calling a friend for that one. I know. It is actually true. He, he, he's the only person to basically almost ruin the dress rehearsal
0: by not being able to get past question one. Can I ask Mike then, given the fact that you never watched the show The Bash, you know, and you weren't familiar with the, the whole thing, who was it who, who kind of got you onto it, into it, as it were? I was familiar with the
2: show. I had heard of the show. I knew it was about love. And so literally one day I was at work. I was a financial advisor. I threw my phone down one day. It's true story. It's so funny. I threw my phone down one day and my colleague, he's like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I said, look, I just want to be in a relationship. I'm tired of like just going on single dates and these girls not, you know, we're not aligning. Our values are not the same. I'm growing older. I just want, you know, wife and kids, right? He was laughing at me for like a good 45 minutes. He was like, bro. You can get girls like what guy says they want one woman when you have the ability to you know get lots of women and i was like i I just want one woman i was so serious with him and he just was laughing at me and then like six months later he sent me a casting call on facebook and i was off work that day so i was like hey there's nothing else to do let's just go to this that's how it happened
1: first of all the concept of you having a little tantrum about not having a wife and basically kids immediately and throwing your phone down i mean where are you sort of the naomi
0: campbell of bachelors mike you're just so smug mr freaking smug over there who got married when he was 11. you know he doesn't know what it's like Christ, don't give him a hard time night you have no idea what he's been what he's going through you have no concept of what it feels like to to be in that position i like to To just to want one woman and settle down and have a wife and kids. You don't know what that's like. You've never done it. Yeah, he's he's already he's had it
2: from when he came out the womb.
0: Jesus, it's like (laughs) Yeah, I I I said to Tom that he would have a lot in common
1: with you, that he would have a lot in common with you. And this is what I love as I'm provoking such a great reaction. You know, you might think that I'm actually talking to you, Mike, but this is all everything I'm saying to you is really directed at Tom, but indirectly through you. So this is a sort of Interesting kind of um, conversation I'm having here because he's getting really irritated, face is going pitch <laughs> red, and um you know I'm really pushing his buttons, but that's okay. I like that. Now you you said something a moment ago. You were talking about after the show and what happened after the fact and the sort of the trolling and the general social media world out there that was not perhaps as kind as you'd but so I, I'm curious because that that's not unusual either, right? There's clearly no, social media and the world. I mean, is your skin that thin that you, you get upset and affected by what people say? Or have you? is that what it was like and now
2: you've changed? Is your skin that thin? <laughs> I don't have thin skin. And a lot of it I found quite hilarious, to be honest. I, I actually would make fun of myself at times. People talk about my dry lips. I love talking about my dry lips as well. Shit, that was my next question. <laughs> See, I'm already there. I, I've already done it. What is irritating is the people that, use racial slurs and that's the things that you're like, hey, now, now we're just, now we're doing too much, you know? Like you could talk about me all day, I really don't care, I, I might talk about myself too, but when you say racial slurs about myself or about my castmates, that's what I find disrespectful and I wanna protect myself and castmates.
1: So that's a whole another angle, right? So that's it, that, That's something which obviously clearly is outrageous, right, and, and I, you know, myself coming from a show where my, the host, Tyra Banks, um, African-American. Then I work with Naomi Campbell.
2: Just all these gorgeous women. I mean, gosh. Oh,
1: exactly. It's very hard. Very tough to be <laughs> me. But, you know, my wife has absolutely zero tolerance for me complaining about my workspace when I come back and say I was torn limb from limb by supermodels. Just doesn't go down well. But to your point, getting back to what you're sort of talking about here is that the Bachelor and The Bachelorette has had a not a, got a great necessarily great history of being inclusive or diverse or any of that kind of thing, really, has it? And it's was that an issue? Do you think that there was this, this sort of a racist overtone or undertone, even?
2: I, I think that the since The Bachelor has uh, since they've been out since 2002 and there hasn't been that many people of color on the show, the audience for the most part represents what the show represents, right? And the audience isn't as diverse as it could be. And so therefore, with that, you do get some people that are extremely ignorant and just want to say stupid things. And to that, I always say, I laugh and I say, you would never say that to my face, which isn't the most eloquent thing to say, but that's how I get over it.
1: But you know what? They may well say it to your face, unfortunately, these days. And I actually think that it's not just ignorant. It's disgusting, right? It's, it's a difference. It think,
2: absolutely is. I think yes. you know,
1: ignorance suggests that if, they, if you told them or taught them that they would actually change their mind. Right? That's true. That's true. So they would be. They would have learned not to, to do it. But I don't think it is a learned thing. I think this is an absolute outrageous sort of you know racism. It, it, you know, obviously a lot of it comes from ignorance, but some of it also comes from
0: jealousy. Right? Can I put my hand up here? We're from a I come from a long line of liberals, and my my great uncle was. I discovered on listening to the radio a few years ago. I heard Winnie Mandela on the radio talking about Nelson Mandela, and in her, in, when she was talking, she, she said, if it wasn't for David Astor, Nelson Mandela would have died in Robben Island. That's my great uncle. He had a newspaper in England, and while Nelson Mandela was in prison in Robben Island during apartheid, he kept he kept him alive, he kept the story alive. The apartheid government couldn't get rid of him because mm. there would have been an uproar, and he kept him alive, and he kept him alive by keeping his story alive. My question is that no, no one's ever been able to answer this I want to know the reason why everybody who is born on this earth doesn't have an equal right to be here.
2: Tom, I'm giving a keynote next week to uh, Ivy League College, and I'm going to steal that sentence right there. I'm going to steal that question if I can.
0: Feel free. Someone give me a reason why someone has more of a right to be here than someone else. Clearly, clearly, clearly. And I guess that
1: so that goes back to that whole point. I mean, so listen, how did you handle it? I mean, what was the... The general trolling. I mean, for, I think I think also I, I mentioned jealousy. I mean, I think there's an aspect of that. Like you get to be on the show. You're, you know, this clearly uh, eloquent, good-looking bachelor who's out there. Women are making a fuss of you, and people are crazy jealous. So the only thing they can say is something which isn't really a defensible kind of. It's not a defense. It's it's just simply, as you said, it's ignorant or it's stupid or it's there is no response. Worthy of sort of racist you kind know, of comments, is there? Is you're just like, well, okay, that's the conversation is now ended. You know what I mean? Pretty it's- much,
2: yeah. The conversation is ended at that point. I would say that jealousy that only comes from people that went to middle school with you, went to high school with you, because the people that know you the closest, they may feel a type of way because they grew up with you. When the most part of the people that don't know you, ninety five percent of people are not jealous whatsoever, and so that's what I would say the jealousy aspect is. Now, when it comes to the the despicable words that people say, I think that's just one part to recite in emotion until so they get attention. And so for the most part, I understand that if I wanna shut something down, I don't give it attention. Uh, but then the second part is, I've chosen to speak eloquent on my platform. I'm particularly patient with my words, uh, but then there are times to where I do get emotional and I have outbursts as I am human. But that's the route that I've taken. Like even in my book, I speak in a form of bringing us together in comparison to division. And I have loved, I absolutely adore when I have allies reach out to me and DM me and say, hey, I used to think this way, but I like the way you speak and you're opening my eyes up to new thought processes. So I think that's amazing.
1: You talked about your book. You just mentioned it. Congratulations. First of all, it's called Making the Love You Want. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's a sort of a guide to sort of self-love, right? Can you tell me what what was the inspiration sort of behind writing a book versus something else? Because a book is a bit old school, perhaps, even.
2: Uh, uh, Yeah, definitely. A book is old school in today's day and age. No one has time to do anything no more, right? So a book is definitely old school. I never intended to write a book. When I was in the military, I had a commander. He once said, don't come to me with a problem unless you have a solution. And that has always stuck with me. I take that in everything that I do in life now. And I had friends commit suicide, multiple friends. I myself, had went through a grave depression to where I went through my entire savings because I didn't work for a year and I was just at home every single day, sulking like a victim. And (laughs) it was embarrassing, quite honestly, to say now in retrospect. And I've had things of, of close family members tell me things and or do things to themselves. And to be honest, I was fed up. I was truly fed up. And I wanted to create something kind of to what Tom said, who is who says that someone is better than another? And I wanted to instill what I have in me, which is immense confidence and a love love of self. And I wanted to give practical guides and practical tools that I myself have done, not someone that someone told me, but myself have done. And that was a way of me to give a solution because I do believe that media and all forms of media is what we listen to, is what we gravitate towards. Your your guys' podcast is a form of media. I also have a TV show that I, I curated and I executive produce that I'm coming out with also, which speaks to the same thing, because I feel that it's just media. I remember on Instagram one time, I was uh, just scrolling like everyone does, mindlessly scrolling. And there was this little girl, maybe eight years old. And I know, Nigel, you have a 12-year-old daughter. We spoke about it. And she had a magazine, like a Victoria's Secret magazine. And she hunched over and she had some scissors in her hands. And like it just almost brought me to tears. Because as human beings, everyone, even if you're the skinniest person ever, you have lumps when you bend over. And it just made me realize that we are subconsciously allowing what we see in the media to take control of our lives if we don't have a stable base of self-love. And so this was my solution to the growing pandemic of mental illness.
1: You know, I I hear you. It's a great sort of topic of conversation in general because clearly the world right now is reeling from mental illness and you know there's clearly with with people out of work children out of school just being social on any level is very difficult for most people because they can't get close to one another they're not looking at each other so mental health issues are at an all-time high and people are feeling very bad about themselves and about their situation and you mentioned how you spent pretty much a year sitting on the couch Burning through your life savings at that moment, feeling sorry for yourself or whatever it might have been. You know, but at what point then did you, because you then said, okay, so you wrote this book because you now have confidence in yourself and you know, you you get it. But how did you discover that compassion for yourself? What where did that come from? Where was your moment of like, actually
2: I am worth it? This is not a BS answer. You're gonna say, okay, he's being very, very honest. So like I told you, I was financial advisor and I was at a wonderful firm. They treated me great, everyone was awesome. I walked into a room and I was a a young black guy with tattoos and everyone looked like Tom. You know, they had had the crazy hair, the nice glasses and the the outfit like Tom. And they were all nice to me, all wonderful people. And I remember I felt less than. Nothing that they did, nothing at all. It was just purely from what I've been taught via media that I may not be an equal partner, right? An equal player. And I ran outside, uh, started hyperventilating. I called my friends and they cursed me out so good. They cursed me the hell out. They said, you, what the hell is wrong with you? You deserve to be in that room. You've passed every course that they've passed. Get your ass in there. And I mean, it was that tough love that I needed. It, it, that's what I needed. And it made me realize I've done the work. These people are not being mean to me. They're being extremely nice to me. They're opening doors for me. So why am I basically being a bitch? And that's what it was for me. So for me, it was just being self-reflective and realizing that it was nobody's doing this but myself. And that's what that was the key.
0: Which goes back to the fact that at that point in time, you realize that actually there wasn't anybody who had actually been able to categorically tell you why you were inferior and why these people were superior. What I said before, correct, doesn't
1: exist. It goes back to also the fact that culturally, and I'm and I'm talking about. our culture in general, like there's so much appalling misinformation that kids are educated with to think that they are lesser because they are of color, right? That they don't deserve certain things, that they don't, that that Mm -hmm. one way that if someone looks a certain way that they are maybe better or they might be smarter or they might deserve more luck or deserve more love. And there's something about that. I mean, it's- Yeah, absolutely. it's, It's endemic in so many societies, right? And this sort of racism of, of of a sort that is, it happens within people of color too. Even with my, my grandmother, for example, who, and I'm part Sri Lankan, right? So the faint color that I have comes from my mother's side of the family, which is from Sri Lanka and India and what have you. And uh, But my mother, my grandmother would often look down on people who were of dark skinned Indians and dark skinned <laughs> because they were clearly had to work and therefore outside in the fields. And had this sort of, if you like, they were the rednecks of, you know, or it's the equivalents. It was like, if you're really dark skinned, then that was sort of to look down upon. And, and I, I grew up with this and all my life with my grandmother would be like, what's she talking about? Like, who cares? Like, what is, why would she be, you know, and she would criticize people from Bangladesh, for example. Who And, I don't, and this is not me trying to talk bad about my granny because I loved her. And I, she was, that, it was clearly ignorant, but it was this, it, it was built in to her. Yeah, is it, that
2: correct? It's instilled in us, but it's not only color. And I want people to know that as well. So for women, for example, they see all these CEOs, that for the most part, are men, right? Yeah. And so therefore, representation matters. we It's not just about a color specific. It's about gender. It's about whatever your sexuality is. I mean, we need to see someone in positions that we want to be in that look like us. So the reason, so let's take NBA, for example, Steph Curry, is so beloved because he's not really the tallest guy. He he looks like a regular guy. He's not like LeBron James, six foot eight, 260 pounds, right? Just a regular guy. And so like some little boys like, oh, I can be that. Or, oh, I can be in Mike Johnson's position. Now, he has, he's a black guy, he has tattoos. He speaks eloquent and well, and he's not nothing special. I could be somebody like that. And that helps that little individual. So for example, we just had the uh, inauguration and I forget the young lady's name, she was the youngest woman to ever- Amanda Gorman? Yes. Poet Laureate. So many little kids are seeing her and saying, wow. And I'm I'm be talking beyond color. So many little girls are like, wow, I could do that too. And so I think that's what we need to see more of.
1: Well, did you know that she had a terrible lisp? So only a three years I know, ago, so- she couldn't hardly speak. So when you, I mean, I say hardly speak, she could speak, but she could spoke spoke with she, a very yeah, with a strong lisp. lisp. But this woman, just completely took control of herself and her speech and taught herself, you know, with speech therapy to get that all under control, what have you, to the point where just a couple of years later at the inauguration, she is yeah, delivering the highest, one of the most gr- groundbreaking speeches at her tender age to the world. And it yes. was, I'm like, Mind blowing. You know, I mean, I literally got my
0: phone out and videoed her on the screen. Oh, on my no, I, can I say something at this point? You shouldn't give a shit whether she had a lisp or not. That shouldn't matter. It's the same. Sorry, I've done. It shouldn't
2: matter. It it shouldn't. You're right. It shouldn't
0: matter. I'm not saying it matters. I'm not saying it matters.
1: My point is, is that even if you know some, we give ourselves so many excuses in life. We there's this problem, that problem, something else, why we can't do it, something else, why I'm not going to achieve this, and and you see what she did, regardless of the lisp, you're quite right. She got up there and she delivered something amazing. But then when you also realise that the things that she overcame just to get there physically personally to get to that point on her own level it just it gives it another another entire dimension of oh yes damn well right you can do this look what Absolutely. you can do you know like, don't let anything don't let anybody don't let anything hold you back you can and you will and guess what she's about to, live, to deliver the first poem ever at the super bowl Right, so oh wow, oh it's like, wow, wow, that's, know that's that. never that's happened crazy. before. There's never been a poet laureate <laughs> that's, that's, at the Super Bowl, but now they're that's really.
0: crazy. <laughs> well, just say you've got a lot of kind of thespian literature, you know, keen book readers at the Super Bowl, have you? Who, who have been reading their wordsworth and their keats. Their I mean, is it <laughs> well? She writes her own stuff, right? So she's a poet, yeah. or sorry, oh, my wow. stereotyping the Super Bowl. um
2: audience. No, I, I think that's perfectly fine to stereotype the Super Bowl audience. <laughs> but also, with that being said, Tom, she, it doesn't matter if she had a lisp or not. It's just more so that people that do, that are part of that community, feel represented in that. So, for example, I think of Conor McGregor. He's like a polarizing figure coming out of Dublin, Ireland. What little kid, what little redhead kid in Dublin, Dublin says, oh, I'm going to be the champ of the MMA. But now you see Conor McGregor's done it, so therefore you're like, wow, I could do it too. There you go, yeah, Tom. So- little, little red-headed boy
1: from, uh, the nowhere, <laughs> from the middle of Oxford. You could be an MMA fighter too,
0: Tom. Don't you worry about it. I believe you. A cage fighter. I was going to say earlier about, um, you know, when you're sitting there going, you know, I could be this. Like, i I, totally in tune with why I can't, you know, why I don't take enough exercise. It's completely my fault. My problem is I got stuck with my own internal dialogue of like, you so said, what's your problem? If you know you need to go, if you take more exercise, why don't you just do it? And I'm like, well, because you want me to. Well, I think, you know, this is kind of like, I, I'm now stuck. So that's sorry, Going on back on a social media, if I had my way, I would ban social media for anyone under the age of 16. It'd be like, and pornography would be banned for everyone under the age of maybe even
2: yeah. 21. That would so, actually be awesome. That's something that I think should be a dialogue about. I truly do feel that way. Because if you look at suicide rates, there. I think over the last pandemic, since this pandemic, they've risen by 20%. And then also, suicide has a correlation to social media as well. So I I think the politicians should have a conversation about that.
0: If that problem is not going away, right? So if social media is here to stay and it's going to turn- It's here to stay. Yeah, it's here to stay. It's here to stay. So on that basis, then, if, you, if you're if you thinking that, that actually it's having an adverse effect on young people and mental illness, and also, you know, you've got kids sitting there comparing themselves to these influencer-type people- and, basically in the transformative moments of your life when actually, you know, you're feeling pretty inferior and you're kind of like, well, I want tits like that. I want an ass like that. I want legs like that. Well, you know, what you shouldn't have is someone sitting there going, you're never going to have legs like that because your legs are a different shape. Your ass is a different shape. It's never going to look like that. You're not, you're never going to look like that because you're your own shape, but you have to, so going back to what you're talking about, which is how, how do we, engender? how do we encourage Bearing my social media isn't going away. Bearing in mind, people like my ex-wife, she, she lets my eleven-year-old just freely go on social media. It drives me. I can't do anything about it. It's, it drives me nuts. I, I, I'm like just. <laughs> it drives me nuts. But he doesn't need to be doing it. It's insane. It's, he's eleven. He should be freaking doing something else. Yeah. So, so how do we get these kids right? That self-love that you're talking about, right? Tom, because- you're not able
2: to. It goes back to your question. Social media is here to stay. You're not going to be able to get your child away from social media, it's impossible. But then also I wanna speak about the other side of it as well. So you have people that are huge social media stars. My roommate and I always talk about now, social media stars are bigger than A-list celebrities if you really think about it. Social media stars are bigger than Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington now. And it's absurd to think of, but that's just the truth now. And even them, they're 16, 17, 18 years old, have 50 million followers, they're on the top of the world, but what happens when they're 25 and they're no longer the shit no more? Yeah. That's so
1: that's always been the case, though, right? With, even with celebrities like Daniel Washington and what have you. Like If you look at child actors and people who are famous even from yes. a
2: movie,
1: that's why getting an Oscar was sort of a useful thing because it then therefore opened up various other movies for you and potentially you could go on to get other work because you had got the sort of the pat on the back of approval, you know, you know, or you did a movie that was a blockbuster or something that you was like, okay, so that works, right? And it's interesting that you talk about how sort of the the new stars of of today are our social media stars, because at the very same time, you, you know, you're absolutely right that they have these huge numbers and followings, but at the very same time, they don't have international fame, right? So it, it's one of those things where you can have someone That's on true. social media who has 20 million followers and i can mention their name to my mother and my mother who is 76 in scotland has yeah. never heard of them right yeah, no i can idea. mention yeah. that person to tom never heard of them i can mention that person to my my daughter never heard of them however i can say tom cruise who has like 2 million followers and everyone's heard of tom cruise everyone true. my mom my daughter my everyone the ba- everyone around everywhere right so there are certain things about fame celebrity and actual like numbers of fans, right?
2: That is very
1: true. So it doesn't all equate in the same way. It's not the same dance. It doesn't quite, and, and also one of them, like celebrity and fame, for example, like with myself, I did a show for 18 seasons. You become a household name. You're around for a generation. People right. will always know me from America's Next Top Model, whether I like that or not, right? And that is just <laughs> the way of it. No, but it's serious. I yes, yes. On top of all of that, and I don't mind it, but it is something I will probably be known for forever, right? However, do I have a lot of social media fans? No, I have a few. I've got 1.2 million or something spread across a few platforms. It's okay, cool, whatever. I've got a little platform. But I can also go down the street and bump into someone who's not on social media, but they watch Top Model. And they know that and sure. I can go into China and I can and all of a sudden Beijing's people come up to me, and go, Oh, America's next on I love it. And they've seen the show. But then they say a more Chinese accent than that. And and and, it's, and then in other places, like it's the same thing, right? Yet you can have someone like a Jake Paul or someone or Logan Paul who's got yeah. you know millions and millions of YouTube subscribers, but a lot of I didn't know a lot about him until just recently, you know, when he sort of, that you know, so sure. it's I guess it's a it's a different kind of thing, right? So what kind of celebrity are you
2: after? There's not. I like that question, but I think that to your point, it's the younger generation though that is going to be going off of that more so, like the Jake and Logan Pauls. It's the eight-year-old kid right now who, when he becomes thirty years old, he's going to know that individual more so than the next Denzel, for example. And that's how I as of right now. I
1: mean, that in itself, you're assuming that is the case, and I am assuming that because to your point. They're famous now for what they're doing at this moment. What happens when you look at already what's happened in the past decade, right? When I first started Top Model, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, and there was no Twitter. Can you believe it? That's all happened Uh, in that time, right? there weren't any social media you there was, television was the big thing and there wasn't even Sirius XM radio and stuff like that it was all so it was just terrestrial so so much has changed in the past like 15 20 years it's unbelievable so much so much it's, yes it's like a revolution so it's very hard to fully understand and to the point where things like MySpace which was a cool social media app is like doesn't even really exist and then you've got Facebook is now like for your mum and it's sort of yeah. like so where it was, that was all you had. So that, that with all these social media, and TikTok almost got taken off the air completely by Trump. So, so the, all of those stars almost were, had their writing on the wall. So for it a lot true. of these kids, they're looking at what's happening out there and they're like, it's fragile. It's not just it, am I growing up, but also
0: I don't know whether <laughs> this is... Tom is just right like, oh that. God. <laughs> it's just also such fucking bollocks. I mean, <laughs> don't let kids have this shit until they're 16. They don't... My eleven-year-old said to me the other day, "Oh know Logan Paul is he the one who went and filmed the guy at that suicide spot?" Yes, and it's my eleven-year-old kid. Shouldn't know this shit. Shouldn't be discussing suicide. Well, if they want to discuss suicide, it should be alright. It's, it's it infuriates me. It really. It's. Do you know something? Drives me nuts. And 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 I think that Instagram, for the most part, if it's being done for business, it's a useful thing. I use Instagram for my business. Yeah, I think if you're just a fucking narcissistic wanker sitting there putting fucking pictures of what you've been cooking all day, right? And that's what I you do. For- and then, and then, sorry. In my case, you then let well. Let's say someone I know then lets their child fucking go unsupervised on this stuff. You know, it's, it's am my shouting? No, you not. You're uh, sorry, no. you're not, not just
1: that you're not shouting, but it's going to be great. This is going to be the one episode where there's so many
0: yes. noises. There might <laughs> actually that. be its own theme tune. Sorry, back to Mike. Seriously. I'm, I'm, no, I,
2: I love this. I absolutely love what you're saying. To to Nigel, what you just said. My roommate and I always talk about this one thing. We understand that we have a platform, and like you guys had alluded to, if Trump takes away, or now Biden takes away, TikTok, or they take away all social media. What we're using is we're, we understand that this is a business model and we're trying to, we're, we're ascertaining income from it, right? And so therefore, once we get our number, we can get off of social and then live a, a productive part of society without giving a damn what people may judge us for. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a, like you said, Tom, that's what Instagram is being used for now is business. It's a business. It's a, it's a tool. Quite honestly, and so that's how people that's also
1: that's quite a fragile, people. tenuous position to put yourself in because you are under the whims of potentially being censored, you're being under the whim of you know Instagram or whoever owns Facebook or whatever, changing their rules. I, dis-
2: I disagree, and this is why. Uh, because they have apps now to where you can collect all the data yourself, like for example, superphone, Ryan Leslie, he created superphone, or you got Asna Kutcher who created community, and so therefore you can have people text you directly their information and you, the, the, the owner of, you're the owner of that information now. So therefore, if Instagram or these other apps were to die out. Nigel, you still have your following for, for Vibe. You still have your following for Dogpound on your phone. And so therefore, you still can get out the message that you want to be able to get out.
1: Except you would have to have the platform to get it onto, right? So- originally,
2: yes. Yes. You do have to have the platform originally to get it out. I mean, look.
1: I think it's a very interesting conversation, and it's certainly it's one of those ones which is a sort of both a generational conversation and also a you know where is the what's the end game for all of these things? And I love how this our conversation has gone down a complete rabbit hole into (laughs) nothing. You know, (laughs) completely polarizing and pissing Tom off to a point where he's exploded. um, Polarizing uh, conversations are
2: great for podcasts. This will get the best. This is good.
1: Just don't have a heart attack, for God's sakes, Tom. I, it, we, it, you know, we, we really want, I want that we've got the smile back now on Mike Johnson's face, which <laughs> means that we've really kind of taken, kind gone of a full circle because we went, we've, we've, we've had sort of smiles to tears to complete rage uh-huh. on this podcast, which I love. It means we've done something right. But right. before we let you go, we have something on this show called Last Orders. Right, which is essentially at the end of the 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 drink, you know, at the end of the day, in the evening, you have your last order. So it's a little bit of a a rapid fire question. Are you are you ready,
2: Mike? I am. I I am ready. I am ready for it.
1: Prepped. All right. We want to know
2: your wildest fantasy. (laughs) My (laughs) my wildest fantasy would be on a yacht on the off the coast of Seychelles uh, with the lady of my dreams on the hood of the yacht. Making love to her while the sun is basking down on us and the waves are going. Wow.
1: Ascertaining. <laughs> We're gonna call that ascertaining. Right? Uh, or doing something with the ass, I think. Ascertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Seriously. This is
0: a family place. Is it family? Right, no, it was
1: a family show until you blew up about family. At this point, it's no longer Tom, a family. You,
2: Tom, right? you made this not family. You said so many bleep words. <laughs>
1: Sorry. All right. All right. Next one. And this probably goes to the girl on the hood of your yacht. Does age matter in a
2: relationship? At a certain point. I've dated women 20 years my senior, and it matters at a certain point. I think that, I think that every four years is a generational uh, difference. But like, I'm 33. I'm not going to date a 65-year-old who has Social Security. That won't happen.
1: There you go. See, Tom, you're fine. <laughs> Next
0: question. <laughs> But I'm quite pleased he went the other way. But yeah, current.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, um, in the movie of your life, who
2: would you have play you, Mike? I always say it has to be that young boy that is working his butt off right now who isn't famous yet, who hasn't had his big break yet. It's that kid that's working their ass off, that's watching YouTube, that's listening to everything possible about acting to be the best actor possible, and someone that's extremely hungry for it.
1: Wow, yeah. look at that. That's, we've never, ever, ever had that answer. Everyone always names an actor, and you just named someone great. Who doesn't answer.
2: Be- great answer. No, I appreciate
1: it. No, I know. I think it's complete BS, and he just planned that one completely. He couldn't clearly asked that damn question before. And I, I makes <laughs> me it's way too good. Anyway, I'll take <laughs> it for a moment. It's
2: what, way uh, too good.
1: What, and, and we know the answer for Tom with this one, but when I want to know, know your answer.
2: What gets your goat and what floats your boat? What gets my goat would be a, a woman who l- says that she had an orgasm and she lied, and she didn't. That pisses me off. Wow. <laughs> That's a, yeah. and, and what floats your boat? I'm giving her a real one. <laughs> what, what floats my boat is uh, someone who tells me they can't hang out with me because they are working on a, a, a passion project. That, I like that a lot. That turns me on.
1: Wow, that turns you on. Someone who says they can't <laughs> hang out with you because they're working on a passion project.
2: That yes, turns that, you on. Because that makes me, that, instinctually, I want them more. You know, I, 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 I gravitate towards that.
1: Final question. Shaken
2: or stirred, Mike Johnson? <laughs> I love this podcast. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, for me, it's got to be shaken. It's got to be shaken.
0: Oh, shake it up. Now, before that, that's a great answer as well because we don't often get a shaken. Before we go, did you, by the way, can I just ask you something? Did you find love? I, I did not find love on TV, no, no. Are you in a relationship?
2: I am not in love right now, no.
0: Okay, great. Can, can I at this point? said, okay, gonna, great. Okay, I've great. never done this before either, but we were talking to uh, one of the producers, Anna Marie, who's now going to currently get on. She's going to show her face. Where is she? Anna Marie. She Anna Marie, camera. where are you? Anna Marie, come on. You. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> I have never seen anybody just go quiet and lose the speech oh, when, when, she, when she knew you were coming on, Mike. Anna Marie, this is your moment to say hello to my... Sorry about this, Mike. Hi, well, mate. I nice don't mind. But over I to
2: Johnson, you. How are you doing, Ms. Johnson? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> We I enjoyed
1: got the same last you time. on
2: Hannah's season. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate it.
1: Uh, you know what, you just said, hello, Miss Johnson, and I thought, first of all, that was very presumptuous of you to assume that she's already your wife. And then, of course, I suddenly realized, <laughs> so I'm like, wow, that's how it happens. That was easy.
0: Oh my
2: Nigel, god. it's the little things. You got to pay attention to the small details.
0: See, Mike knows what he's doing. Yeah, he I, I know nothing about anything small. So. Oh my god. I think Mike, I've never seen I've never seen someone become enthralled so immediately. Uh that's wonderful. Anne-Marie, any any questions you'd like to ask Mike while he's still here before he switches off? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well but you're I, both in LA. You
1: know, know.
0: What can I say? Thank you so much, Tom. <laughs>
2: and like it's to nice to
1: meet people you on the spot we like to make it completely awkward and we couldn't have done a better job mike you the best thanks so much everybody check out mike johnson check out his book making the love you want and check out his show which is coming out when
2: uh mike oh uh, my show is under wraps i just told you guys some tea that no one knows yet so Woo-hoo! you guys are the first
1: there you go <laughs> you heard it here first on shaken and slurred
2: um <laughs> till next week all the best sending lots of thank love. you guys so much y'all have a great one
1: Thank you very much for listening. That is shaken instead. We will be back next week with a, another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe.
0: See ya.